University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. I want to start by acknowledging that this is going to be kind of an untraditional sermon for me. I don't have slides to back me up. Um, I want to specifically allow us to hear the stories and the scriptures that will be read today and to experience them for ourselves. So just so you know, it's going to be a little bit different. And I'm also going to be asking you to speak up and lend a voice because I need your help as we look at this story this morning. This is such an interesting story that's already been alluded to, the story of Jesus' anointing. It's found, strangely enough, in all four of the Gospels. Am I still on? I'll stand here for now until I can figure out what's going on. Um, it's found in all four of the Gospels, which is unusual. Um, there are not many um, places where we find that all, all four Gospels carry the same story. Each one has its own emphasis. Each one was written in a different time and context for different people. And so we find stories that do fall in all four of them. For instance, Jesus' death is in all four, but not Jesus' birth is not in Mark's gospel. And Jesus' resurrection is also not in all four gospels. If you don't believe it, look for yourself. But when we find one of these stories that does occur in all of the gospels, it's like a flag that says, this is important. Pay attention to this. This is something you need to see. And this morning, as we go through the sermon, I'm going to give you a little sneak peek of our spiritual formation prayer practice for this coming Wednesday. It's called imaginative prayer, and it puts us within the context of a story so that we can experience that story for ourselves and maybe see what God might be saying to us through that. So not necessarily just my words and my interpretation, but how you see and experience that story yourself. I'm going to read first. Uh, we're actually going to read all four versions of this story from all four Gospels because I think each one of them has something instructive to tell us. And the first one we're going to read is from Mark. And I'm choosing that one first because it was probably the first one written. And here's what I would like you to focus on. The words are not going to be on the screen. Don't have your Bibles out. I just want you to listen to this story and experience it. If you're not going to fall asleep, you can close your eyes and listen. Um, if you are going to fall asleep, then, then find some, go back and get some coffee maybe. Um, but just listen to this story. And as you do, I want you to place yourself in the story and tell me or think about what things you smell and see as you experience the story. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them at any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. What things did you experience as you heard the story? 
What things did you see? And I'm asking, this is not a rhetorical question, I'm asking for some feedback here. Smell of the perfume? Good. And it was a powerful, overwhelming scent. I'll explain a little bit more about that in a minute. What else did you experience? Did you smell or did you see as you imagine the story? Breaking of the jar and the sound of that, yeah. The judgment of the people, uh-huh. You kind of see it on their faces. A disagreement of what? Uh-huh. Disagreement of what was said? We'll hear some different versions of that in the other versions of the gospel. So where were you located as you heard this story? This is one of the parts of imaginative prayer is that where we choose to place ourselves in the story says a lot about how we're experiencing it. Are you standing outside the window looking in? Maybe you're one of the, the people there at the table reclining and lying down for dinner with Jesus. Maybe you're the woman who is bringing this expensive perfume. I'm going to go ahead and make a confession here about this story. I don't like this story. I never have. I didn't care for it when I was younger, and the older I've gotten, it makes me even more and more uncomfortable. And it's that squirmy kind of discomfort for me. And this week, I thought, oh, this will be a chance. I've never had the chance to really compare and put all four of these versions together and look at them in a sermon. And I read all four of them, and you know what? All four of the stories made me uncomfortable in different ways. As my faith has changed through the years and as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that if a story makes me uncomfortable in the scriptures, there's probably a reason for that. Now I can walk away from it. And that's usually what we do when we have things that we're uncomfortable with. We turn away, we don't look, we, we maybe move away from it and ignore it. But if we're courageous, we can lean into that discomfort and really learn something about God and about ourselves. Guess what? You are going to be courageous this morning. You don't have a choice. We're all going to be courageous and sit with this story for a while today. I mean, you could walk out now, and I guess you could if you really want to, but what fun would that be? Here's some context that might help you understand as we read through the different versions of the story. First of all, we don't know who Simon the leper is. This is the only place that he's really mentioned. There's a lot of theories about who he might have been, um, connecting different people in the scriptures. We still don't really know or why he chose to invite Jesus to his house for this dinner. We're not sure who the woman is, although um, in John's account, we're going to find a place where, where John believes that it was Mary, uh, of Mary and Martha. You'll hear a little bit more about that later. Later. But again, through the centuries, people have variously tried to assign different roles to her, but we don't know really who she was. There are enough differences between the four versions that some scholars think that this event might have happened more than once. I disagree. I don't have all those letters after my name, so you can take whoever's opinion you want. Um, but I think each of the gospel writers found this such an important story that they included it, but they changed some of the details to suit their own understanding of happened, what happened and to suit the people that they were writing to. Now, Middle Eastern dining in those times was not like what you imagined in the, or maybe the Last Supper painting by Da Vinci and the other artists that had people sitting at a table. This is not what dining was like in those times, just like it is sometimes today. Uh, people were lying down, uh, on a sofa or a couch that was arranged around a table. They could reach into the middle so their feet would be away from the table and their head would be uh, there towards the table so that they could reach in and take things. There were certain places that people sat. The guest sat in the center at the head of the table. The guest of honor sat to his left or her left. Now, if a guest 
came in dirty from the street, the host had a responsibility to make sure that this guest was able to get clean. Uh, they would have uh, water there for washing their feet. Um, sometimes they might even have a servant there that would wash their feet. A menial task, something that really only a servant would do or you would do for yourself, which of course comes into play later. If a guest came in and had dirty clothes from traveling, the host would provide clothes for that guest. They would make sure that they had everything that they needed for this dinner to be comfortable, to be there and experience hospitality. Now, there were the people that you would expect to see in a place like this. There were the people, of course, who were part of the dinner. There were people who were coming in and out. There were, there were servants who would come to bring food. If it was a wealthy enough home, they would have people bringing the food. Or maybe um, the women would be in the kitchen and all the men would be lying down. That's just what things were like in that time. Um, so they would be coming in and out. But there were also things that you wouldn't see. You wouldn't see someone come in and do what this woman has done. It's so unusual, it's so shocking that I can imagine that it just made everybody silent. This was the most vulnerable time. When you're lying down, you don't have access to your weapons, you have had a little bit of wine, you're lying around the table having a good time. It's an intimate and vulnerable moment, and this is when she comes into the room. Now, the perfume that we talked about earlier, smelling the perfume, this was, I had to look this up, nard comes from the spike nard plant, which is a flower that only grows in the Himalayas. Here's your fun fact for the day. This is several weeks' journey from Israel. They were difficult to collect. It was a difficult process to make this oil, this perfume, this essence of nard. And so it was very valuable. Just like today, the harder it is to obtain something, the more valuable it is, the more money it would cost. And that was why it was such an expensive perfume. It's a close relative, I learned, of the honeysuckle family. And so it has a strong aroma. If any of you had honeysuckle in your yard growing up like I did, or if you have them now, you know that when they're in bloom, you walk out the door and it's just all that you smell. It covers over everything, which is one of the reasons it's used, was used in the past in burial. It made things smell better as you prepared someone to bury them. Now, we are going to listen to the next version of the story and remember that there are differences in the details, but remember also that all four writers thought that this story was important to include and it may have meant something different to each of them, but I think it's more important to ask ourselves, what does it mean to you and to me? Now we're going to read Matthew's version, which was probably the next one written in chronological order. And I want you to focus on the sounds. What do you hear in the room as these events unfold? This is from Matthew. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. The perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So, once again, time for input. What sounds did you hear? Okay, so you heard the sounds. Um, somebody mentioned earlier the breaking of the jar, so that you would have heard that and just her. Um, her devotion and her love for Jesus. Good. What other things did you hear? As you experienced the stories, what would you have heard in the room that day? Sounds of 
Sounds of amazement, good. Somebody else was... Gasping, muttering under their breath. Grumpy Gus's, I like that. It's good. What else? What else? What sounds did you hear? Of what? Confusion? Uh-huh. Yeah, the sounds of people trying to make sense of what's happening, yeah. So at the beginning, you would have heard the sound of eating and people making merry and being cheerful. It was a dinner. They were sitting down together. They probably had wine. They were enjoying themselves. And then there were these other sounds that break in, the breaking sound of the perfume bottle and the sounds of people's amazement. And I think what probably would have stood out to me in that room as I imagine this was the silence because there was all the sound of eating and merriment and then all of a sudden this happens and everybody is trying to make sense of it. I think it would have been quiet. Now we notice more details in Mark's story that, uh, excuse me, in Matthew's story that Mark didn't mention. For, for instance, Mark said some of those present were angry. Well, here Matthew just owns it. He says the disciples were angry. Now remember Matthew's past. He had been a tax collector and somebody who um, took money from people as part of his job really didn't have a very savory job. So he was used to having fingers pointed at him. I don't think he had any problem um, owning the fact that he was one of the ones who would have been upset by this. And as someone uh, myself who spent 10 years raising money to help people in poverty, I'm going to agree with the disciples here. It does feel wasteful. And if you look at Jesus' life, you would think that he would agree because Jesus did spend most of his time among the marginalized people and the poor. Now, here we have this setting where he's dining in the house of somebody who's wealthy, but most of the time he was living out in the fields. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a place to call his own. He was wandering from village to village, healing the sick people who were coming out to him in droves. And it wasn't the rich people who really wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. It was the poor people who wanted to hear this message of God's love and inclusion and embrace those who are pushed to the edges of society because of their sickness because of their ethnicity or because people thought that they were sinful but at this moment at this moment Jesus seems to say that this is an appropriate act for this time and place I am here right now says Jesus but I won't always be here now both Ma Matthew and Mark show Jesus defending the woman because she understood something that was happening and this is one of several places in the Gospels where the Gospel writers very clearly portray that there's a woman or women who understand a lot more about what's going on than the men. And that's just, we, all, we can all agree that that has been the truth throughout history, whether it's been acknowledged or not. Um, that, but this woman understood that something was about to happen. She understood more than the other disciples that Jesus' end really was coming soon, and she was not going to have a chance to do this again. Now I want you to hear John's version. This time I want you to imagine the faces of the people in the room. So again, you're imagining that you're there in this room watching this happen. What's happening on people's faces? What do you see on Jesus' face? What do you see on the face of the woman? This is John's version of the story. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was about a year's wages. 
He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So first of all, what were some of the differences in the stories here? Sorry? Uh Uh-huh, head and feet, yep. What else? What differences did you hear in the story? Okay, the people involved. John places this, it's still in Bethany, and all, all four accounts take place in the, in the town of Bethany, but this takes place in the presence of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, whom Jesus had just raised from the dead in a chapter before that. Good. What did you see on people's faces as you imagine the story? Shock? Hmm? What else? Could you imagine Jesus' face? Hmm. People recognizing that Jesus, Jesus frequently is mentioning that he's about to die, and I don't think people really completely get it until it happens. They certainly don't understand the way that it's going to happen. Good, so concern over what's, being happen, what's going to happen. I have a hard time imagining Jesus' face. I don't know about you. Um, but the other faces in the room, I see shock, I see concern, I see discomfort with this level of intimacy that somebody would come into the room and do something like this. Now, John, we talked about this a minute ago. John changes the details so that we know that it's Mary and Martha and Lazarus. This is Mary who sat at Jesus' feet while Martha made dinner. Remember that? She got it right then. She was doing the right thing, and she was doing the right thing here, too. Um, Her brother had died, and Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. This woman had so much to be thankful to Jesus for. And here is the classic bad guy, John. If you ever read through John's gospel from beginning to end, you'll see little jabs that he puts in at the other disciples. He never really names himself, but he's like, you know, the other disciple was the first one to the tomb because he ran faster than Peter. Um, And here he's jabbing at Judas, who was the classic bad guy. Now the hair, this is a detail that would have shocked everybody in that time because women kept their hair covered uh, and they kept it put up. So for her to bring her hair out in this uh, kind of event in a room full of men was unheard of, unthought of, something completely shocking to the men especially that would have been present there for her to let her hair down. Um, Can't really overemphasize how shocking that would have been. And this is the most intimate account that we've heard so far. And this, I think it's this intimacy of her touching his feet and his head that makes me so uncomfortable. It reminds me, every sermon I've got to talk about something from Slovakia. So here's your your, uh, gratuitous Slovakia throwout. Um, in the first few months that we were there, we began attending uh, the Roma church there in town and made dear, dear friends. And one of my friends that still I count as one of my closest friends to this day is named Leo. Um, and he would come and translate for me during the service because the pastor was preaching in Slovak. I still didn't understand it. So Leo would come and sit with me. And when he sat with me, he, th- th- we were on these benches. He had plenty of room, but he would sit and put his leg up against mine and like put his hand on my leg as he talked to me. Now, Roma are affectionate people. Um, they are very emotional people and affectionate, but I was not used to this kind of affection. And my instinct was to be like, okay, you have your room. I have my room. I can hear you just fine over here. But it's that kind of discomfort with closeness and intimacy that I think is one of the reasons that makes this story so uncomfortable for me. 
All three stories that we've read so far share some similarities that help us see what's happening. A woman comes in while there's a fancy dinner party. She anoints Jesus with an expensive perfume that costs about a year's wages. People objected because of the waste of money. Jesus defends the woman. One of several times in the, in the Gospels that Jesus points out that the woman understands what's really going on. Jesus recognizes out loud that this is preparation for his burial, and he wouldn't have time. That If you remember the story of the crucifixion, it happened at the end of the day on Friday, and the Jewish Sabbath begins at sunset, so they had to quickly get his body off the cross, and they didn't have time to prepare it in the normal way that they would have prepared someone for burial. He says he has this, uh, this line that we remember, you will always have the poor with you, and we're going to come back to that in a few minutes, but he points out also that she's going to be remembered for what she has done. Now, we've been peeling back layers, kind of like the proverbial onion, and not just on the story, but what's going on inside the characters, and maybe peeling back layers, too, of what's going on inside of us as we experience it. Now, we're about to read Luke's version. This is the last one, and I want to warn you that Luke really gets to the heart of the matter of what's going on. It's the most intimate account, but it's also the most pointed and shows us what might really be happening. This time, as you experience it, I want you to be in the room as this is happening, but I want you to experience what feelings are happening inside of you. What are you feeling as you watch and listen? This is Luke's version. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, said Simon. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him $500, we'll say dollars instead of denarii, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as, great, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What did you feel as you experienced this story for the fourth time? There's no wrong answer here. What did you experience inside yourself? Hope. Good. Why hope? Yeah. Yeah. She could be forgiven. There's hope for all of us. What else? What did you experience? What was it? Wonder. Good. 
I know this is unusual for you all. You're not used to sermons like this. Thank you for... Hmm? Yeah. You felt the, felt the judgment of the other people? This is the most intimate and uncomfortable version for me. There's the expensive perfume, there's the tears, the wiping with her hair, and the fact is, I can't really imagine doing this for anyone. First of all, I don't have the hair for it, but also, it's so intimate and so vulnerable that there are only a very few people I can think of that I would be that close to, and I certainly would not do it in a public place like this. As I was preparing for this and thinking about this, I remembered late nights that I spent in the hospice center when my mom was close to death. She was unconscious and sedated because of the pain, and even though she technically didn't know I was there, I still wanted to be there beside her. I sat there in the room with her for hours, holding her hand, whispering to her, sang her some of her favorite songs. It was a close intimacy that she and I honestly really never got to share before that. And it was something that was appropriate for that time. It's not something that I would have done years earlier. Sometimes I wondered maybe if it would have been good for me to express some of those things earlier. But to be honest, it would have been ridiculously awkward for both of us. There's something about the realization that you're not going to have someone with you forever that brings out deeper emotions that we don't often express. It makes us do things that we wouldn't do in everyday life. And there are times when this kind of display is absolutely appropriate and times when it's not. That's why I think Luke's version really gets to the heart of what's going on. I don't think any of Jesus' closest followers could have predicted the things that were about to happen in those next few days, but they all knew something was coming. Jesus had been talking about his death. There's tension and conflict, and every time he turns around, the Pharisees are there trying to pick at him and make him say something wrong. And maybe this woman who comes out of nowhere, who we really still don't know much of anything about, maybe this woman understood more than anyone just how close the time was. I don't know why Luke chose to change the details and point out the woman's sinfulness, but I think Luke recognized that this woman owed Jesus a debt of gratitude that words could not express. And in this intimate moment, she felt like she had to express it before she didn't have him anymore. Now, y'all have heard me enough preaching by now. You know I like to have nice, tidy endings and even send you home with something to think about or something to work on. And I love to have practical points, but I don't have that today. I don't have a nice bow to wrap up this sermon with because this intimate moment in Jesus' life that makes me uncomfortable to read it, this intimate moment tells us something about Jesus and about us. And just like there are four different versions of the story in the Gospels, there are probably... 70 or 80 different versions of that story in this room right now. But I do want to point out a couple of things from this final layer of the story. But first, I want you to take a moment to share with each other. Turn to each other, and this is a, the sharing the journey thing that we do sometimes. Talk to each other with somebody around you about what you've experienced as you read this. How has this story made you feel? How have you experienced it today? I'll just give you three or four minutes to talk with somebody and then some closing remarks before we finish. So, turn, talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> 